Well, good morning, church. You got your outlines. You want to take those out at this point. And if you, uh, these are always available at the front door when you come in, by the way. And I, I want to just make mention today that on the back of each sermon outline every week is a great companion article that our, our friend Larry Bailey has been putting together. I so appreciate his faithfulness in putting these articles together. They go with the sermon. Sometimes uh, Larry sees points that I don't see or I see points that he doesn't see. And so I just encourage you to, to take those with you and read through those great articles. I'm thankful for Larry and his willingness to put those together. We are in this series, The Gospel of Mark, Servant and Savior. Today we've come to Mark chapter 6. Verses 45 through 56, we're calling the message today, when the tough, or when the going gets tough, when the going gets tough. So I want you to imagine a, uh, a basketball game. It's almost the end of overtime, and it's time for one last shot. Who do you want to have the ball? You want the calmest and best player out there. Or imagine, perhaps, that you need a crucial surgery to save your life or the life of a loved one. Who do you want behind the scalpel? Who do you want performing the surgery? Of course, you want the best doctor available. In times of crisis or pressure or stress, when the outcome is crucial, who do you want making the final call and what to do or not to do? You want somebody who is calm under pressure. And you know, that's how the Gospels present Jesus, as he is working his way toward the cross. As we've worked our way through Mark, as we continue to do that, we're seeing Jesus working his way towards the cross. And he's under extreme pressure, pressure that we will never even completely fathom. And yet, at every stage, Jesus is calm. He is in control of himself. But Jesus also leaves every sports star and every surgeon and every politician far behind. It's not just that Jesus is in control of himself. Jesus is in control of the events themselves. It's not just that he's able to handle his own adrenaline. He's able to dictate the result. It's not just that he's able to act wisely under pressure. He is able to determine the outcome. Jesus isn't able to, to just able to respond skillfully to what he finds. He already knows what he will find, and he's already mapped out the solution to every situation, including the deepest human problem of all. Jesus stands out in this because he is in control, in control of the entire sweep of human history, even as he travels towards his impending death. So we've entitled the message today, When the Going Gets Tough, and you finish the rest with me. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. Oh, that's a great popular American witticism, isn't it? The origin of that phrase has been attributed to a variety of sources. The, the earliest published ones were in the 1950s. It, it appears to come out of the, the world of American football. Sometimes it's connected to legendary coach Newt Rockney. The phrase, when the tough, 
the one the going gets tough, the tough get going. That phrase is often used in a variety of circumstances in motivational talks. It's popular in self-help books. It's, it's familiar. It's inspirational. But you know, it's just, it's just not very biblical. It's not very biblical. And so today, we're going to change it. All right? We're going to change it. So we're going to call it this. When the, tough get, when the going gets tough, rely on Jesus. Who better to rely on than the one who is in control of the entire sweep of human history because he created it. And so we're going to start in Mark chapter 6 in verse 45. I thank Merlene for reading the passage earlier. We're going to take a look at a few parts of that passage now. And in verse 45, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, when where he then while he dismissed the crowd. So you might remember, we've mentioned this a number of times already, that Mark loves this word immediately. It helps us to see that Jesus is moving quickly from one encounter to the next. He's a man on a mission. But in this case, it seems just a, a bit abrupt, doesn't it? Jesus, of course, has just performed an amazing miracle. He has fed a crowd of thousands of people from one boy's sack lunch. And then right on the tails of this mind-boggling feat, Mark records that Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. The word there that is used is the word compelled. And it has the idea of the disciples being pushed into the boat. In Matthew's account of this, uh, of this story, he says that Jesus gave orders to them. I kind of picture Jesus calling the 12 together and kind of saying in a hushed tone, get to the boat now and leave. Just do it, guys. Go. Well, you know, in our culture, we have been programmed to want to know all the details before we decide whether or not we'd like to obey. It's like we want to figure out the why and just instead of just saying, God, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Now, I'm sure this command to get into the boat doesn't even make sense to the disciples. But frankly, it doesn't have to. In John's recording of this event, John tells us in chapter 6, uh, he, he reveals that the crowd that Jesus had just fed, they wanted to take him by force and make him king. And so Jesus quickly sends the disciples off and then he dismisses the crowd because he doesn't want to be a part of any sort of a political coup. That's not what he's about. Well, let's think about ourselves for a moment. What about you? Do you ever struggle with obedience to the Lord? Is there anything that you're resisting simply because it doesn't make sense to you? In times like that, I think it's helpful to keep in mind God's word from Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts, God says, are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God knows what's going on. And most of the time, we don't. And so it's important to just do what he says. And you know, folks, sometimes we might find ourselves to be kind of spiritually stuck. 
simply because we're demanding to understand everything before we obey. Why, Lord? Why now? What about this? What about that? But I don't like it. It's like we're spiritual five-year-olds. Why? 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 I have a five-year-old granddaughter, and she loves that word. Why? But why? So instead of focusing on our own self-reliance, on our own knowledge, on our own figuring out, as we move through the rest of this text today, I want you to see the power and the freedom that come from relying on Jesus instead of ourselves. In tough times, it is vital to rely on Jesus because, first of all, Jesus prays for you when you can't pray for yourself. Take a look at verse 46. And after he had taken leave of them, after he'd sent the guys off in the boat, Jesus went up on the mountain to pray. And you might remember way back in chapter 1 that we found out that it was Jesus' custom to meet with his Father in prayer whenever possible. You might remember in chapter 1 it said, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. Jesus looked for times of solitude away from others so that he could be recharged via prayer. And it's interesting to me that in the Gospels, we find that there are uh, at least three things that Jesus prays for that I want you to take note of. When Jesus is spending time in prayer, what is it that he prays for? Well, he prays for himself. But he prays for you. Do you know that? That Jesus prays for you? Here's a couple of examples. One thing that he prays for us is that our faith will not fail. That our faith will not fail. In Luke 22, Jesus is talking with Peter and he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you. That he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. But he's telling Peter, I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus prays for us that our faith won't fail. Jesus also prays that we would have protection as we flee from sin and from Satan. In that wonderful passage in John chapter 17, when Jesus is praying He's praying for us. And in verse 15, he says, Father, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Jesus is praying that we would be protected from the evil one. And then Jesus prays that we would experience undivided unity. The heart of Jesus is for harmony in the family of faith. A little later down in that same chapter of John in 17 and verse 20, he says, I do not ask for these only, talking about his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us, folks. Jesus was already praying for you 2,000 years ago. I ask, Father, for all those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. 
You see, when we exhibit oneness, our witness to the world will be powerful and attractive. Have you ever just stopped to think about the idea that Jesus prays for you? Jesus prays for you. He is interceding with the Father on your behalf, watching out for you in difficult times and circumstances. How does that make you feel? I hope that you find that empowering and comforting and maybe even a bit challenging to think about the idea that Jesus prays for you. Jesus is praying for you when perhaps you can't or when you don't or when you won't pray for yourself. Jesus prays for you. Since Jesus made prayer a priority, don't you think that we should do the same? When we gather in groups, let's be a people of prayer. When we meet as classes, let's spend time in prayer. When you talk on the phone with brothers and sisters in Christ, how about ending your conversation in prayer? You know, I am so thankful for a small group of people that meet me every Monday morning at 6.30 in the morning. They meet me here at the building, and they pray for you. They pray for me. They pray for our church and our community and our world. And that is a great blessing. I am often recharged and inspired when we meet for our first Friday prayer. On the first Friday of every month at 7 p.m., we meet right here in this room, a group of 20, 25 of us, and we pray. We pray for you. We pray for this church and this community and our world. I so appreciate when folks walk out the front door on Sunday morning, and they say, I'm praying for you, Rob. I'm praying for our church, for our nation, for our world. You see, prayer needs to permeate everything that we do. So let me be very, very clear. The problems in our country and our world will not be solved by politicians or by people protesting or by us standing up for our rights or laws or privileges or whatever you might add in there. No, the problems will only be solved by prayer. Social transformation only comes about when the church is spiritually transformed. I read an article this week by a man by the name of Bob Backey called Spiritual Awakening Brings Societal Transformation. It was a, a great article. I wish I could take more time to share it with you. But here's his conclusion. After talking about the impact of, of the Great Awakening back in the 1800s, here's his conclusion. He says, time after time, in nation after nation, the pattern is the same. When the Holy Spirit moves, lives are transformed. And when those transformed lives start loving others serving others with compassion, adopting God's priorities, and sharing the gospel boldly, the surrounding communities start to change. So folks, let's be a people of prayer. And let's take great comfort in the fact that Jesus is praying for us. Here's just a couple of quick reminders from the Word. In Hebrews chapter 7, Speaking about Jesus, the Hebrew writer says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives 
to make intercession for them. And then in Romans chapter 8, Paul says this about Jesus, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Intercession is being a go-between. It's praying for others. Jesus is interceding for you on a regular basis. Jesus does that for you all the time. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that humbling to think about that Jesus Christ is interceding for you? So I want to just take a moment right now to pray. You know, our world seems out of whack, doesn't it? People are anxious and stressed and angry. COVID, Afghanistan, fires, hurricanes. We wonder what might happen next. And it's time for us to respond with the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ that starts with prayer. So will you just join me in prayer? Father God, we come before you today. Father, we seek your guidance for our church, for our nation, for our world. Father, we are confused at times. And Lord, we pray and we cry out for wisdom and clarity so that we might know how we can best respond, how we might best act and represent you, Father, in the midst of a, a pandemic. Father, we pray for world situations. Lord, this week, our, our hearts and our minds were drawn to Afghanistan and the terrible things that are happening there. Lord, we lift up those that love you there whose lives are in great danger, some who have already perished. Father, we pray for those in that nation that don't yet know you. Father, that perhaps even in the midst of crisis, that they might be drawn to you. Father, we pray for all who are there in the midst of chaos and crisis. Father, we pray that our church would represent you well. Lord, that we might reflect your priorities here where you've placed us. Guide us, Father, we cry out. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, secondly, when the going gets tough, we need to rely on Jesus because Jesus puts you where you might not want to be. He puts you where you might not want to be. Look at verse 47. And when, and when evening came... The boat was out on the sea, and he, that is Jesus, was alone on the land. It, it's getting dark, and the disciples are out in the deep water. We know that from Matthew 14. He tells us that they were a long way from land. Now, this was just supposed to be a short shoreline cruise, and now they're way off course. I wonder if some of the disciples were maybe starting to sing, just sit right back and you'll hear a tale. A tale of a fateful trip. Ah, oh. You know, you might feel like you're in deep water today. As a, as a society, we seem to be out in the sea. And the waves are crashing and the wind is blowing and we are a long way from solid ground. That's what it was for the disciples as well. But you know what? They were together. They were together. There was no time for arguing or fighting. It was a time for them to pull together and not dwell on their differences. And that makes me think about this. You know, today we are all in the same boat, aren't we? 
We're all in the same boat. I want you to just take a moment. Look around. Look around at the people that are here in this auditorium with you. Just think about this. Keep looking. Keep looking around. I would have you, you know, shake hands and give hugs, but we can't do that because of the silly social distancing stuff. So instead, I just want you to look around, and I want you to make eye contact. The people that you're making eye contact with, or the people that you're avoiding if you're a social introvert, because some of us are that way. I know that. But I want you to think about that. These people that you're with right now are made in the image of God. The people that you just looked at, some of them are different than you. They might be a different gender than you. They might belong to a different political party than you do. They might represent a different generation. They might even live in a different community than you, or maybe a different state or a different country even. They might live in a different size house than you or have different colored skin than you. You might look around and see some duck fans and some beaver fans at the same time. And it's a bit uncomfortable, isn't it? To think about, here we are all together in the same boat, but we're different. But together, together we belong to Jesus and he puts us where he wants us. And sometimes we don't want to be there. We don't want to be there. The church is to be a place of grace a place of healing, a place of safety from the storm swirling about us. And we gather together faithfully, no matter our background. We grow together because we can't grow alone. We give to one another because of what we've been so generously given by the Lord. And so when the going gets tough, rely on Jesus because he puts you where you need to be. And it sometimes might not be where you want to be. You might not like your current situation at home or at work or with your neighbors or even here in this church. You might not like the current political climate in our state or our nation or in the world. You might want to be somewhere else. You might want to be in a different boat or back on the shore or anywhere else for that matter. But perhaps, perhaps Jesus has you just where he wants you for this moment to teach you something, to guide you in a new direction, to help you to conform more fully in his image. And sometimes we have to just say, okay, Lord, I don't want to be here. But today, in this moment, in this situation, in this predicament, I am choosing to rely on you. Rely on Jesus. He is praying for you when you can't pray for yourself. Rely on Jesus right now because he has you where he wants you. And it might not be where you want to be. There's a third thing I want you to see. When the going gets tough, we must rely on Jesus because here's something great. He sees you when you can't see him. He sees you. Right now, Jesus sees you. The disciples are a long way from shore. They can't see Jesus. 
The crowds have dispersed. Jesus is by himself on the mountainside praying. And yet it says in verse 48, and he saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. So let's just consider an obvious point here for just a moment. Jesus sent the disciples out into that storm on purpose. He did that. I want you to beware. Beware of preachers and churches and authors who tell you that it is never God's will for the child of God to suffer or to go through hard times. I want you to beware of that teaching because it is a teaching from the depths of hell. It is a false teaching. We know from John's account that the disciples were three to four miles from land. And yet Jesus could see them. Jesus could see them. And he could see, first of all, that they were in pain. He saw that they were in pain and that they weren't making much progress. The word in the text there, painfully, means to torment and torture. They were not making much headway, but they were, they were rowing. I can just picture it. Rowing, rowing, just keep rowing. As the waves crash, as the wind howls, their arms were tired. They're scared. This is a torturous experience. But Jesus sees them. Jesus also sees that the wind was against them. In John's account, he says that it is a great wind and that it was contrary to them. Oh my goodness. The Christian life is not always about smooth sailing, is it? While we have some mountaintop experiences, life can be difficult and it can be dark out on the open water. Blessings sometimes come in the midst of storms and battles and hardships. That's just the reality of it. But take comfort. Take comfort because the Savior sees you when you are struggling. Do you, you understand that? You have not been forgotten or abandoned. Listen to this little passage. It's from Peter. Peter, who was in that boat, all right? Many years later, when he's an old man, he writes the book of 1 Peter. And he sends it to people that are undergoing hard times, persecution, hardship. Some of them were dying. And old Peter, who'd been in that boat, here's what he says. He reminds them and he reminds us, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. Because he sees us, he knows what we're going through, and he will come to us when we're in crisis. But it might not be on our timetable. Sometimes the deliverance is delayed until it's the darkest hour. Look at the second half of verse 48. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Now, I have no doubt if you were to ask the disciples, they, they, wanted, they would have wanted Jesus to bail them out a lot earlier. But you see, Jesus was waiting for the perfect time. The fourth watch took place between 3 and 6 a.m. Okay? 
If you put the timing together through the Gospels, we find out that the disciples had been straining against the wind out there on the sea in their boat for eight or nine hours. Can you imagine that? An open boat in a rough sea, rowing, rowing. What to do? Fearful, getting nowhere. They can't get to Jesus. But you know what? He makes his way to them. Don't you just love that he knew exactly where they were? Exactly where they were. I'm sure that it gave the disciples quite a fright when they looked out and saw Jesus walking out there on the open ocean, open water. Jesus comes to the disciples at their point of deepest need at the darkest time of the night when they are the most discouraged. Have you ever experienced that? Do you believe that that is a truth for you as well? Because it is. The same Jesus who came to the disciples is the same Jesus we serve today. You see, our greatest need is to see Jesus for who he is. Go back to the end of verse 48. and look, There's a little curious, curious phrase here. It says, he meant to pass them by. What in the world does that mean? He meant to pass them by. Was he going to just walk by the boat? Say, hey guys, see you later. There's a, an interesting phrase in the Old Testament. It's the same language that's used here. He meant to pass them by. Pass them by. In Exodus chapter 33, when, when God said that he would make his goodness pass by Moses. He was going to make his goodness pass by Moses and then proclaim his name as the Lord. So just think of it this way, if you will. Jesus was not trying to hide his identity. He was not trying to run away from the guys in the boat. He was actually revealing his glory and his goodness to the disciples. Verse 49 and the first part of verse 50 tell us that when the disciples see Jesus, they think that he's a ghost. The word for ghost is phantasma. We get our word phantom from it. The phantom. And it was a common cultural belief in the first century that to see a ghost was a sign of imminent death. Imminent death. So when they're out there, the waves are crashing, the wind is howling, water is coming in the boat. Maybe some of them are bailing the boat out, and all of a sudden they see what they think is a ghost out there. What do they think? We're dead. We are dead. They cry out, and this was not a little whimper. The phrase cry out refers to a shrieking scream from someone in deep panic. Do you get the picture here? These guys are terrified. Terrified that they are about to die. What is the disciples' biggest need at this point? What do you think? Is it to have the storm die down? Is their biggest need to, to get to the shore, to the safety of the shore? Is, is their biggest need to feel better about themselves so that they can have their best life now? No. no. The number one thing they need is to increase their awe of the Almighty. To understand who Jesus is. 
Look at the last phrase of verse 50, when we read that Jesus spoke to them. And what is it that he says? He says, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Remember, they're screaming in the boat. They're about to die. Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. By the way, do not be afraid is the language of a command. Don't be afraid, guys. That phrase, take heart, that means to be brave. I don't know. I was thinking today we might say, get a grip, man. Get a grip. Maybe that's what Jesus said to the guys. Get a grip, guys. I'm right here. And notice that Jesus doesn't call them to draw on something within themselves. That's not what we're called to do, folks. Just to man up. To be strong. Get through it. Pull yourselves up by your bootstraps. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Don't be afraid. It is I. Lean on the Lord. Rely on Jesus. He doesn't say, you guys are amazing and strong and incredible. You can get through anything. No. Take heart. It is I. Jesus is using something here called the emphatic personal pronoun. It is I. And that would have reminded these Jewish disciples right away of Exodus chapter 3 in verse 14. When Moses meets God through the burning bush and he says, who should I say sent me? And what does God answer? I am who I am. It is I. That's what God says. So what is Jesus doing here? He's equating himself with Yahweh. Guys, I'm God. I'm with you. Settle down. Focus. Rely on me. Maybe Jesus is saying something like this. There's no need to fear because I am is here. One more idea I want us to focus on today. Have you ever wondered, as we work our way through the Gospel of Mark or the other Gospels you've read, have you ever wondered how the disciples could be so dense? What's up with these guys? They just witnessed the feeding of thousands. But they aren't able to connect the dots. But you know what? We're the same way, aren't we? Sometimes. God has been faithful in the past. Oh, we know that. But here in the present, oh no, what are we going to do? The boat's sinking. What are we going to do? We forget that God is with us in the present, just like he's always been with us in the past. Look at verses 51 and 52. And he, the Jesus, got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves but their hearts were hardened. To be utterly astounded means to be bewildered beyond belief. Literally, to leave one's mouth wide open in surprise. What's happening? Oh my goodness. Jesus walked on the water and then the wind ceased. But you know what was in the boat with them? You know what was in the boat? When they left the feeding of the crowd, 
Remember what Jesus told them to do? He said, pick up all the extra bread. Take it with you. They forgot to look in their doggy bags for their leftovers to remind them of who they were with. They didn't think the Lord could help them in the storm, even though they saw him a few hours ago. But now we're stuck. What are we going to do? Notice what it says. Their hearts were hardened. Folks, if we don't grasp what the Lord is trying to teach us, it's likely that our hearts will be hardened as well. The Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter 3 urges us, exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Brothers and sisters, we need to be reminded every single day that Jesus is with us. Whether he's in the boat or miles away, he's with us all the time. And we need to remind each other of that. You know, it's interesting to me that the disciples, it says their hearts were hardened. But when the boat hits the shore, we read that the people in general were humble. They're hungry for what Jesus can help them with. Listen to verses 53 and following. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized Jesus and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages and cities or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplace and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Friends, Jesus wants to impact your life. He wants your heart to be soft to his ways so that you can experience his power and his presence. That's why we need to remind, exhort, encourage one another all the time. Rely on Jesus. Rely on Jesus. Well, it had to be a weird day for the Coast Guard when they got the report about a man in a bubble needing to be rescued in the middle of the ocean. Reza Bellucci an ultra-marathoner attempting a globe-wide run to promote world peace was attempting to run from Florida to Bermuda on the sea in a person-powered bubble. But he got stuck. He couldn't get any farther. The waves were too big. The wind was blowing. And he had to call for hope. You know, walking on water, it occurs to me, is for very elite company, isn't it? <laughs> Much like the last guy who thought it would be a good idea to walk on the water. Remember who that was? Peter. And he had to call for help, didn't he? Just like that, Mr. Bellucci needed to be rescued. You know, folks, sometimes we might be called to take some crazy risks for the Lord walking in a bubble, 
to serve God. Other times, it might be something simple that we're called to do to follow the Lord. But it might just not make sense to us. And we say, why? But, I, but, but, but why? But here's what I want us to remember. Do it. Do what he asks you to do. And then if you get in over your head, don't be too proud to call for help. Because walking on water is not easy. But guess what? We have the Lord of the universe on our side. Rely on Jesus when the going gets tough. When the tough times come, rely on Jesus because he's always there for his children. Let's pray together. Father God, Father God, I just pray today that you will help us to move away from self-reliance, from that lie that we can figure things out on our own, Lord, today I just repent of my own arrogance, thinking I can do it all on my own. Lord, we're, we're just, we're, it's ingrained into us. And so, Father, may we just be reminded again and again, we must rely on Jesus. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that helps us to flee from sin, the sin that hardens our hearts, makes it hard to understand Jesus' ways. Father, may we just, Focus on where you put us and what you want to teach us, Lord. May we just respond in obedience. And Father, we thank you for your promises that help us to know that we don't have to do it by ourselves. Father, bless us this week as we serve you, that we might do it effectively, that we might bring glory to your name, and that we might be witnesses to your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Let's stand together as we have our closing song. May God bless you this week as you go out to serve him, relying on Jesus. Come every soul by